I believe the trade's going to come back before we get the staff. We're going to be stretched more. The CBD is going to open back up to 100%. That's when we'll start seeing more pressure on underskilled or less staff because the trade may be here, but people might not be able to open for the seven days because they can't cover it. Today on Dirty Linen, we are talking about the issue that everybody is talking about, and that is staffing. There are no staff. It is an absolute struggle. The staff that are in restaurants are stretched. The business owners are working a million hours a week in their own businesses, and they are constantly looking for staff. To tease this issue out, we are talking to Tony Twitchett, a taxi kitchen executive chef um, who has kindly left his, his busy restaurant to come and have a chat to us at Dirty Linen. Thanks for coming along for a chat, Tony. No worries, Danny. Happy to be here. So what's the situation like at uh, Taxi Kitchen and Transport Hotel at Federation Square in the not quite bustling city of Melbourne? Well, yeah. I mean, it is uh, definitely something for the something I've never seen before for such a place uh, like Federation Square or Melbourne CBD, you know, filled with you know, thousands of people every day for the last 17 years since I've been here. Um, you can actually refer to it sometimes as a ghost town. It's just... Uh, yeah, with the CBD not really firing back on uh, 100% yet, it's just it's it's kind of a bit of a struggle to be honest. Taxi and I mean the whole three-story complex there, um, just on Swanson Street opposite Flinders Street Station. I mean it is such a hub. It's the kind of place that you know you, people come to for live music, they come to for dinner, they come with work groups. You know, okay, you know, f- lots of functions, lots of you know special occasions. Um, yeah, before the footy, before the concert, before the theatre. And so, when, how would how would you say businesses tracked back? Like, are you can you talk about it in percentage terms? Um, yeah, I mean, we probably we probably tracked back to about seventy percent um, up to you know up until last week. Really, uh, we found two weeks before the school holidays when all the um, the CBD offices went up to seventy five percent. We we could really feel that the trade picked up. And then school holidays, we had some good trade through here with um, young families and young young kids going to see all the activities around around the CBD. Um, and then after after the school holidays, we sort of we sort of really dropped off Monday through to Thursday, and we're probably sort of dropping below seventy percent again. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think until we start getting all those businesses back up and running, we won't see that early week trade. It's really tough. I mean, and winter in Melbourne, you know, it does things do tend to tail off a bit. But then, of course, you know, there's that events program that Melbourne's so known for that you know does give the city a bit of a boost. You know, lots of lots of theatre, lots of music, uh, lots of arts activity. I guess that has come back, but not at levels that you need to get trade back to 100 percent. No, exactly. Well, I mean, all these theatres and um, AFL, everything's still restricted on numbers, so. Obviously, they're they're doing what they can do and put on shows, which is fantastic. Like we had um, the opera show, the opera was on last night, and we had some, we had a really good pre-theater last night in the restaurant, which was fantastic. Um, so we do feel it and see it when you know the concert hall picks up or you know the, the Regent Theatre has a show. So you, we can really see it and feel it when it does happen. Um, so you know, even with the AFL, when that kicked in seven weeks ago, we really our weekends were amazing. Um, so the more games at the MCG, 
the better it is for the city or this this corner of the CBD anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose, you know, um, dovetailing with this percentage of trade, you know, that you're sort of uh, uh, one side or the other of is, of course, the staff that you need to support that trade. And um, it's it's what everybody is talking about right now. It's so hard to find staff. Uh, what's it like for you? Oh, same as everyone. You know, I mean, you know, all my friends have got restaurants in uh, Flinders Lane. You know, I'm constantly calling them, asking if they've got resumes of chefs or, you know, front of house waiters because, you know, you put an ad on Seek and normally you, over a month you might get 200, but, you know, you're looking at maybe 14 resumes come through. So, yeah, it's a huge drop. Like, there's just no one applying. And also for senior roles. Um, you know, I've even engaged with recruitment companies and even they're very tentative when talking about, you know, committing to helping us find key positions because even they, you know, they always have the, you know, the clause saying it's tough out there. And it's just, you know, I've been re- trying to recruit since we've been able to open up before Christmas just to get chefs to be able to open up more hours. You know, we're, we're, the pub's running seven days, but the restaurant's only five days. You know, if we did go to seven days in the restaurant, I would hate to think how many hours we'd have to do. Mm. Is, there a, is there a particular shortage in a particular part of the business? Um, well, I mean, for skilled staff, yes. You know, people to be able to come in and, uh, you know, work in, it, work in the kitchen on a section or work in a senior role in the kitchen. Um, same with the front of house. I mean, looking for a restaurant manager at the moment just because I've, we've, got, we've got time, but we'll be looking to try and find a new restaurant manager by the end of winter. So we've got the recruitment open now and we're just finding that there's just a lack of people actually applying. And then for the people who are applying, you know, aren't hospitality, aren't hospitality experienced. I've got people cha- trying to change industries, you know, which is interesting. But I think there's also a lot of people that don't want to apply and everyone's sort of a little bit hesitant to apply and get into hospitality career. Maybe because of seeing what happened with the pandemic and how hard it crippled hospitality. Yeah, I definitely know people. I'm thinking of, yeah, one couple in particular that were both working in hospitality. One's jumped back in, but one's like, no, I'm going to do something else because if there's a lockdown, you know, at least we've got a bit of diversity, you know, in the household income. So I think people have, yeah, seen how tough it was for hospitality and they, I think people are a bit wary. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people were thinking that the end of JobKeeper might shake some stuff out of um, out of businesses that perhaps weren't going to continue. But ha- have you noticed that? Yeah, we th- we thought the same. Obviously, we had recruitment up through um, you know gem- December, January, February, and uh, we were finding that there was not many people coming through or resumes coming through, and we thought, you know what. I'm sure people are just, you know, everyone's connected to an employer. Employees are connected to employees because of JobKeeper. So maybe after the 30th of March, we might see more people moving, moving, moving around. Um, but yeah, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't find any sort of increase in people applying or people moving around. So, you know, the thing is, that we just need more locals to start applying for jobs. So, and just the young people to try and, you know, come in. You could always find apprentices quite easily, but uh, even they're hard to find. 
Well, it's interesting that you say you could find apprentices quite easily because I've heard other people say that it's actually been hard to find apprentices for a long time. Um, so that's interesting that you haven't found it hard uh, pre all this. Well, in, beforehand, I used to have a really good connect with um, Holmes Glenn, William Anglis. So obviously talking and so doing, um, having a connection with William Anglis, doing great chef dinners, I've got a good connection with all the teachers and basically it's a really good way to actually sort of introduce yourself to these young chefs. So I've found that I've always had, you know, three or four apprentices within the building, you know, either starting in downstairs in the pub and then coming up to the restaurant or vice versa. Um, but I've got a, I've had a team of apprentices sort of qualified last year and they're normally looking to, you know, replace those people. But yeah, nothing was sort of coming through. And do you, what do you, I mean, we all know that there's a, we had a lot of internationals in Australia in the hospitality industry and a lot of those people left the country, um, perhaps, you know, left Victoria as well. I mean, were you reliant on those people? Oh, 100%, especially downstairs in transport, which is very, you know, seasonality during summer. The workforce increases by a third. Uh, and, you know, you have a lot of people coming over on working holiday visas from Canada, America, uh, through Europe, and they're skilled, they're skilled hospitality. They can step in and, you know, run a bar or come in and help out in the kitchen. So having those people around really does help you for those busy periods. Um, and then some even become part of your core team because obviously conversations about sponsorship and then, you know, they want to stay in the country as well. So we've had sponsored sponsored chefs here throughout the years, you know, in the multiples, sometimes, you know, four at the same time. But not having those as well has been very difficult. Yeah, it's there's a lot of noise around about internationals at the moment and the fact that hospitality business owners are, you know, complaining about, the fact that they're not around and then the sort of narrative often goes well it's cheap labor people just want to um they're just here to be exploited um what would you say to that i'd say that's not true because obviously to do a sponsorship underneath the very 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 strict guidelines to sponsor a chef and you can't underpay them for their skill set so they have to get put on at a at a certain wage which anyone would be happy with. So obviously, you know, if people are sponsoring people and underpaying them, yeah, that's wrong. But if you follow the guidelines and during, you know, with immigration being such an important role, they they monitor it so well that, I mean, I'm sure if you tried to underpay a sponsored chef, you'd get caught very quickly. So you know, normally the sponsored chefs that you do take on become part of your senior team. They're either junior sous or sous chefs. You know, they can run the kitchen for you when you're not here. So they are getting paid well. And the, the working holiday visa holders and, and the international students, there is this narrative that they're um, cheap overseas labour, quote unquote, here to be exploited by businesses who don't want to pay them properly. What would you say to that? Yeah, I'd say the same. Like, yeah, obviously, obviously we've been, you know, a landmark business and a, a very large business um, we we do everything by the book and we follow all the rules. So, I mean, if we have someone coming through on a working holiday visa, we'll pay them, you know, the same rate that is, you know, put down by the federal award or for the state award. So, you know, that's why a lot of them do come and work for us and they'll stay the six months with us, go off to the country, do some farm work and then probably come back for the next summer looking for work. 
because you know we do create a good environment we pay the right hourly rates and and they come in they join it and they actually become good part of our our team so mm. i mean do you hear from some of those people that that's that you're a bit of an well you everyone is not like you everyone doesn't pay the award wages and and give them those those proper conditions that they're entitled to well most of the people that i affiliate with do pay people properly so you know if i if i'm calling my mates at own restaurants they're always still paying the same rate as i am you know so i mean it would have to i don't know anyone really that sort of underpays so sometimes when I hear people saying that the hospitality, you don't get paid properly, you get overworked, I think, you know, I think that's part of probably the 90s, you know. I think I haven't, you know, I know there's been, there was lots of issues with people that uh, went through the paper, of, what was that, eight years ago? But, um, you know, when you, when you do everything by the book, you know, you end up with a really good workforce and that's why I've had people around me for, you know, head chef's been here for seven years, you know, I've been in this building for 17 years, you know, because it's just, it's a business that does everything right. Yeah. And even so, it's just like you're recruit, you're constantly recruiting and there just aren't the people there to do the jobs. Constantly recruiting. Absolutely. You know, and I, I mean, I did a podcast just before Christmas saying that it's really hard to find staff. And my cousin actually called me up and said, I'll come and work for you. You know, never worked hospitality in her life. She'd actually, you know, made redundant because of COVID. So she's come in and she's been working downstairs as a bussy, running food and, you know, clearing glasses. And, you know, that's where we're at. That's where training, you know, bringing people in with no skill set just to start at the bottom and work their way up. Oh, I wonder who's going to um, shake out of the family tree after this podcast, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone will be coming down from the country helping me out on the weekends. Uh, you know? I mean, that, that's that's great, though. I mean, as you said earlier, it's like we do need locals um, that see it as a great industry to get into. Um, but, of course, you know, when you've got this really well-established business and it must be – I mean, of course, you want people in and I'm sure you're happy to train them and, you know, enthusiasm counts for a lot. But it must be hard to run a business where people are so green. Oh, yeah, you can't have too many of them. Like, I mean, if you <laughs> you don't want an army of uh, inexperienced people, you still need those, you know, those senior roles and experienced people to be able to help with the training. Otherwise, you know, it would be a very clunky business if you're constantly training everyone who's on shift. <laughs> so, yeah, we still need some experienced hospitality staff and people just love it but yeah you're right if they've got the right enthusiasm and they've got the right energy they do get trained up very quickly you know mm. and what about in the kitchen i mean when you don't have as many staff as you want what kinds of i guess adjustments do you have to make to let's say menus oh well well with menus i mean when we reopened in november we we just did one really small menu downstairs in the pub and we we pretty much looked at use that one menu to to service downstairs and the rooftop because and we kept it quite short because normally the pub menu downstairs is you know 45 50 menu items i think the first menu we had was like 20 <laughs> just so we could maintain it and do it for seven days and you know and until we knew what was going to go because every single day every single week we couldn't we just didn't know what was going to happen if we we're going to go into a third lockdown you know what we, we just you always in the back of your mind going i hope this nothing happens you know, and then we did get that third lockdown in February, which was on Valentine's Day, which was, you know, just one of those things that's like, well, bang, our business just gets shut down at the, at, on, a, on a Friday when, you know, you're expecting to do 
a good trade over November over Valentine's Day. So it's been hard, but I reckon I've probably written. I reckon I would have written at least you know ten menus for the two two venues in, in a short period of time. You know, it's a lot. Just trying to account for all those variables. Yeah, definitely, definitely trying to make sure we have got a lot of crossover, and then you know, then okay, when things start opening up and we see a bit of bit of hope and some trade, it's like then you start bringing in some more items, some bigger ticket items, you know, and. Which goes on to supplies as well, because supplies are always ringing up saying, oh, you know, do you want to use my duck? Do you want to use my rabbit? You know, so we sort of held off on those until now. So, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting time. And obviously menus changing, you know, every two weeks, every three weeks, just to accommodate, to make sure that things are moving. Mm. What about like actual dishes? Do you have to like pull back on the kind of plating that you'd like to do, or the kind of different, you know, the number of elements on a on a dish? Yeah, definitely. So I mean, we don't normally during a service in taxi, we would have had like eight chefs on service. Now we have sometimes where there's only three chefs. So obviously, when you've only got that sort of manpower, you're not looking at uh, the protein, six garnishes, and a sauce. You, you you sort of you are cutting those things down because. Otherwise, we'll be all starting at 7 a.m., you know, just to be able to look after 30 people. Mm, so, that's interesting. I mean, what's that like for you as an exec chef? Oh, I mean, it's been challenging, but, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, keep it simple. It's been, you know, you're looking for more flavour out of less items and you're not trying to trick things up. So you actually get to see the food a little bit more as it is. It's good to pair things back and try and start again. You know, it's the same as with biz- this business. I mean, it's been a good way to pair back the business and start again. Instead of running the venue as three different floors, we're running the business as just one whole business with the core team because we didn't have enough venue managers to run all three floors separately. We didn't have enough head chefs to run two kitchens separately. So now it's like everyone in the senior team touches all three floors. So, I mean, that's probably one one good thing you'd see running the business has probably been more efficient because we're looking at it as one business instead of a pub, a restaurant and a rooftop. We look at it as a transport hotel as one. So we have one restaurant manager that looks after all three floors. You know, we have one head chef that looks after both floors. So we're finding that we've probably, you know, we've got more control and more vision over everything. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, it's like It's like... You can't sort of throw all your creativity at, let's say, those six garnishes, but you can be really creative with the way that you run the business and structure it. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. Which has probably been, which is when you're looking for when you're looking for like little golden moments or looking for some things that you want to be proud of. I think that's one thing that we could definitely say that we've been able to achieve here is to be able to, you know, run one massive hotel as one venue. And, and I suppose it's probably really lifted the quality of the food downstairs is one thing I'd say. You know, it's just not the normal pub fare that you get. You know, there's more, there's probably more quality put into the food downstairs than it has in the past. I think that's one thing that I'm really proud of. Yeah, that's so interesting. What's an example of a dish that you're now able to get downstairs? Uh, like downstairs you get a, a crispy, pork, uh, crisp, crispy pork taco. Ooh. To share for two, two or more, so it's it's like a whole pork, whole pork hock, roasted with uh, tortillas and everything, endless tortillas, avocado. So it basically comes out a whole knuckle on the plate, and you shred it at the table, 
and you just get endless tortillas and you can sit there and feast on that for an hour. Um, you know, slow-proof 24-hour pizza doughs that have been cooked in a stone-fired oven, you know, with premium, you know, minimal garnish, but premium quality garnish. You know, so same thing there, buying the best, best pepperoni I can get, and it's just mozzarella pepperoni, San Marzano tomatoes, um, you know, the salt and pepper squid that I do downstairs with a knock charm dressing. Um, but yeah, just like a really clean chicken schnitzel with a nice salad, you know, tiger prawn pasta, it's a lamb gnocchi. But yeah, it's some really good dishes that I'm really proud of down there and yeah, it's good. Yeah, it sounds really good. I'm really <laughs> hungry now. <laughs> it sounds excellent. Um, Tony, let's go back to this question of apprentices. What I mean, what are they telling you in the schools? What like are there people coming through? Is it people just aren't signing up for those courses? What's happening? Yeah, yeah, they, they find it. Their their classrooms are nowhere near the size of what they normally are. They, you know, and some, a lot of them are doing it. They have they only they only went back to classrooms um, late into t- uh, the first term. But there is less less kids signing up. Um, I found a lot of kids signed up for the um, the hospitality certificate level four instead of you know and doing those straight after high school last year because I think there was a government incentive to be able to get that certificate. You know, um, I think free it was free sign up for anyone looking to do hospitality cert four, which obviously comes out of that just with all of um, the basics from hospitality. But a lot of that was done online, where the kids could do that from home. Mm, you know, so okay. I'm finding, yeah, so I'm finding that these kids now coming through, looking for, you know, maybe nine. I think they've got to do ninety to a hundred hours now in a business. Um, but they're, they're just young kids after out of year twelve, who obviously looking at a world of careers and not seeing where they should go. But yeah, so the apprentices, you know, even um, the teachers are just saying, oh, lots of green, and you know. No, not as many international students either. What, what's it going to take to get Australians um, into those apprenticeships, do you think? Oh, I think we just have to talk about hospitality as it really is and how it's, a, it's an absolutely amazing industry. And it can give you so much opportunity, you know, either once you've, once you've mastered and honed your, your skill set, you can own your own business, you can take it anywhere, you can... You know, hospitality is in every single town all the way through Australia, you know, and international. And I'm sure once we get control of this um, pandemic, international travel will, will have to return. People just, people want to travel. So it's an industry that does, does bring great opportunity. So how are we going to get that word out? Because I reckon if you were standing in, you know, like a, a year 12 class saying that today, that, I mean, you would be selling it. It would it would appeal to people. I think everyone can relate to restaurants at least to some degree and they can sort of, you know, perhaps imagine themselves there and imagine that bright future. But, um, yeah, I mean, it feels though, it feels like these conversations aren't had in broader society and that the conversations that are had are about long working hours, poor conditions, in, you know, an industry that doesn't have that prestige or value placed upon it. Yeah, but I think, that was, I think those long hours and so forth, that, that's back in when I started 20 years ago. You know, when I started my apprenticeship in the 90s and early 2000s, yeah, where it was sort of not monitored. But, I mean, there's so much, um, you know, health and well-being in kitchens now that, you know, you wouldn't see people doing those 100-hour weeks, 80-hour weeks. You know, there's more control. You know, there's so many more things 
you know, for, you know, things, helping people to be able to cook better, you know, there's more technical thing, te technical opportunities to be able to make kitchens run better, you know, so I think the days of coming in at seven in the morning just to be ready for lunch to do 250 covers is not there anymore, you know, so I think, I think, yeah, I just, I think we just have to sort of break down the, the myth of these stupid hours, you know. Mm. So the know? reputation sort of hanging behind the reality. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, um, I think definitely for the last six to eight years, we've probably found that we haven't had that those mental mental times where you know you're coming in doing five doubles. You know, we've got kitchens where you know happy chefs a good chef is the motto here, and you know make sure that people start at a reasonable time, they get breaks at a reasonable time, they get fed. You know, we still do the still do the staff meal, which is fantastic, which I think I, I love. It's probably one of the most probably the best time of the day really when you see the apprentice cook a meal for the chefs that are working so you know I think more and more people just have to run their businesses that way and just find time for it to happen you know if that means they have to increase their prices and pass a little bit onto the customer then that's what they might have to do um, but find chefs that are all about trying to create an atmosphere and a, a place for people to learn a kitchen that is there as much as for creativity, but also more to pass on a legacy for other people to be able to go off and open kitchens of their own. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's great. And it's very generous of you to be thinking like that as well, that you're, you're training people for other other businesses. But I think you do have to have that that bigger view of the industry when, you, when you're in it and you believe in it. Yeah, definitely. What's, what's some of the, what's a great staff meal that someone's made for you this week? Oh, we use a... Uh, rolled rice noodles a lot so yeah so yesterday we had a um you know or basically all the veg trim and we did a uh, black bean and ho fun noodle stir fry so yeah so yeah great which is just fantastic and it's just those things and so i've got a couple of you know a couple of people here with you know uh korean background and so forth so that you know they make uh kimchi pancakes and put up a nice little little you know korean chicken kimchi pancakes and a salad so yeah we get, we do get a little spice of a little spice of life for lunch. <laughs> um, and Tony, it's even though things are so tough out there, you know the city is still struggling, and it's impossible to find anyone to work in restaurants. There are still people that are opening businesses or planning to. I mean, how do you feel about that? You know that um, everyone's stretched, and yet there's going to be even more of a, a drain and a pull on 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 staff, perhaps your own, but you know certainly the staff in the pool. Um, do you feel like it's a great show of optimism or a bit of a drag on everyone? Oh, it's a great show of optimism. I think, um, you know, opening up a restaurant and looking for, you know, multiples of 100 staff to open up something is um, a huge challenge that they're going to face. But, you know, again, it's good luck to them. You know, I take my hat off them to have that sort of courage to do that. You know, it's like when Scotty Pickett bought that uh, long grain last year, I was just like, oh, my God, well done, mate. Like, it's just <laughs> a very brave effort, you know. And and to his credit, he's kept all his businesses going, which is fantastic, you know. Um, but it will put a strain on us. But the only thing that will sort of – and the thing is, I, I believe the trade's going to come back before we get the staff. So it's going to be – we're going to be stretched more. The CBD is going to open back up to 100%. 
people are going to start and like the more that people start coming back to their normal lives and coming back to the CBD not just for the footy you know not just for the weekend but you know just their normal day of trade you know that's when we'll start seeing more pressure on you know underskilled or less staff because the trade may be here but people might not be able to open for the seven days because they can't cover it so I think that's where we're going to find probably more more hurdles and more roadblocks down the road um, but hopefully they open up the international borders and we can start getting some more you know working holiday visas back here we can probably get some you know skilled staff sponsored so there's a lot of things that probably that can happen to help accommodate that and I think that's where a lot of you know a lot of these people who are opening restaurants may be relying on or hoping for so, yeah would you like to see some sort of special consideration to, for bringing in skilled workers or backpackers um, to help fill some of those positions? Yeah, definitely. There's a way. There's definitely a way it could be done. It can be done by the government, and it can be, you know, it can be run run by the government so it makes sure nothing happens. You know, they can be quarantined for them. There's so many ways that we could do this. Yeah, well, I hope for your sake and for the dining public's sake that there are some solutions found because it does seem so unfortunate that um, recovery is being hampered by the lack of staff to um, keep businesses open and thriving as much as as much as they can. It's just yeah, so frustrating. Yes, as I said, trade will come back before staff, so I think we'll think things will get busier by Christmas this year before we have a normal hospitality workforce to to um, employ from. So I think if people want to decide to get into hospitality, there'll be plenty of jobs over the next six months. Yeah, I reckon so too. Everyone get onto it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I reckon, Tony, certainly if you keep doing stuff like the um, crispy pork knuckle with endless tacos, that um, hospitality is definitely going to come back <laughs> fast and, and so is the city. Um, thank you so much for coming and putting your perspective before us all at Dirty Linen. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Um, yeah, really grateful for your time. Thanks. No problem. Thank you so much. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.